Hey, well, I got all, I'm sure you did too, but I got all kinds of comments, had all kinds of great conversations this last week about the, tar- the cardboard testimonies last Sunday. And I'm sure we were all moved and touched. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But uh, many people told me that I had no idea that there was that many people in this church that had an experience like that with God. And I had a number of other people say, you know what? I could have been one of those cardboard testimonies too because of what God has done in my life. And so I wanted to give you a little bit more of the rest of the story here. Miss Kelly Wilton's here today. And uh, she has an incredible God story to share. And so I'm going to ask her to come up here right now and share that with us. God bless you, Kelly. on a daily basis, so I'm used to speaking in front of them. I wasn't quite feeling right several years prior to my diagnosis. I was diagnosed with brain cancer in 2013, a very aggressive form called anaplastic astrocytoma. I had surgery to remove a lemon-sized tumor from my right temporal lobe. I stayed for a week in the hospital. I had six weeks of radiation, and I visited the Brain Tumor Center at Duke University for a second opinion. I had two years and nine months worth of chemotherapy treatment. I had three doctors, numerous nurses, therapists, and technicians. I had too many doctor visits, pills, needle pokes, blood draws, and MRIs to count. It takes a village to fight cancer. The main one at the helm is God. It's been four and a half years since my diagnosis, and I continue to stay in remission and have periodic MRIs. I was lucky that I was finally diagnosed properly. I made it through surgery with complete tumor removal. I have not had any reoccurrences. I'm living proof that God is in the miracle business. He's the answer to whatever you're going through. I've cheated death and disability and acquired an inner strength that I did not know that was possible that is being tested at the present time. I actually count my battle with cancer as a blessing because it drew me closer to God, and I'm thankful for that. Amen. Thank you, Ms. Kelly. We praise God for you. We praise God, too, that he is in the miracle business. Last Sunday, as you just heard, with a little help from old cardboard and black paint, we worshiped God. We saw shattered lives, loss, cancer, hopelessness, but for the grace of God. We saw God's miracles at work, and we worshiped God. You know, some of us kind of wonder, what exactly is worship? Well, worship is an authentic encounter with a living God. Worship is declaring his worth. God is a great, mighty God, just as Kelly just did here a moment ago. We want to thank God for the blessings he gives us each and every day. And many times we have those extraordinary situations or experiences in life where we need God in a powerful way. We need God to show up because nobody else seems to have the answers. The doctors can't fix it. Friends can't fix it. 
can't fix it ourselves. We need God to show up. And so when God shows up, we worship God. We thank God for him. Worship, though, is all about the heart. God desires for us to have a heart that's devoted to him. You know, it's tough to do in this world out there because there's so many other distractions. We live busy lives. We have all kinds of things going on in our life. But God desires to have our heart, desires our worship. God desires to be first in our lives. The question for you and I to think about as we talk about Cain and Abel here in just a moment is what is God really worth to me? What is God worth to me? There's an old French proverb I thought was kind of interesting, kind of silly, but uh, this French proverb goes like this. He said, a good meal ought to begin with hunger. A good meal ought to begin with hunger. Well, that's kind of obvious. But it goes on to say that a, a good meal is hard to enjoy if we're not hungry. But when we're hungry, everything tastes good. We know that from personal experience. Well, you know, God has a few things to say about that as well. In fact, in the Beatitudes that Jesus Christ gave us, the greatest sermon ever preached, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? For they shall be filled. As we think about worship today, as we talk about worship, I want you to understand that true worship begins with being hungry and thirsty for God. We're going to pick up our study in Genesis here in chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me if you will. This is a very significant passage of Scripture. The text tells us today many, many things, but most of all today I want to focus on worship. I want to focus on the condition of our heart. If you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 4, stand with me if you will out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. We're going to begin with the first verse. It says now in Genesis 4, verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. I want to stop here for just a pastor's note for a second. I want you to realize here, and I, I didn't really think about this quite a while in my life, realized it a number of years ago, but the rest of this chapter that goes on after verse 2 here, we need to realize that Cain and Abel are about 100 years old. A lot of times we think they're just boys, but they're actually 100 years old. We can tell that by the age of, uh, of Adam when Seth was born here. But it goes on, verse 3 there, it says, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit to the ground of the Lord. Of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fall, fallen? If you do well, you will not, you will be, you'll, you'll not be accepted. Well, I'm sorry. Do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and it desires you, for you shall rule over it. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. This morning, Father, I pray right now that each one of us, Father, would examine our own worship and our own heart. Father, I pray today, Lord, that every one of us would come away from this place, Father, change yet again for your eternity, and realize, Father, that we have a great God in heaven, Father, and that would truly be the singular focus of our life. Lord, we thank you now once again for all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. What we have here in the scripture is a tale of two worshipers. It's also a tale of two different hearts. The presenting problem here in Genesis 4 is that Cain tried to worship his own way. 
instead of God's way. He was all about doing things his own way. Many of you probably remember the song in 1968, Frank Sinatra co-wrote and recorded his number one hit, I Did It My Way. I think most of us have heard it. Think about the lyrics here for just a second. I'll just give you a few of them. It says, now the end is here, he sings, so I'll face the final curtain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, and much more than this, I did it my way. I did it my way. You know, if you've heard that song, there's a huge emphasis on the fact that he did it his way. His way. You know, it's interesting that it's more than just Sinatra's theme. It's more than just his song. Unfortunately, this is a story of humanity. Doing it our way. We'd much rather do it our way than God's way. Now, I don't want you to miss this thought as we begin this, uh, get into a little deeper in the scripture here this morning and unpack this scripture. Doing it our way is truly the root of all sin. It really is the root of all sin. Think about that. God has his way. God has his desires for our life. God has a plan for our life. God has a purpose for our life. But we want to do it our way. We pick our way. Why? Because we're human beings. Why? Because we're not walking where we need to be walking with God. Cain and Abel brought an offering. They both brought an offering. Look at that again over there in verse 3. It says, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought, a first, uh, brought, brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And I want you to notice this. Look about what God talks about first. Not the offering. He says, And then the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Isn't it interesting here that God is talking about the man? It's always been about the giver and not the gift from God's perspective. God desires for you and I to have the right heart. What we, what we give is an indication of how our heart is, where our heart's at. What we give has everything to do with what I desire God in my life. Do I really want him to be first place? Do I want him to realize how important I think he is? Do I realize, does, do I realize that I want God to understand that it's not about this gift, it's all about my heart, God, I'm giving it to you. I love you, God, and I want to give you my best, give you everything. That's what Abel did. God's looking at the heart. Remember the story when God told Samuel to go find the next king of Israel. Samuel had failed, he was still ruling, but he'd failed, and it was time to anoint the next king of Israel. Well, God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to seek out a man by the name of Jesse. He told, told Samuel that Jesse has a bunch of sons. Go there and find the king. I'm going to point out to you who the next king is. Well, the first son that Samuel sees is uh, Eliab. Sorry about that. His first son is Eliab. Samuel was sure that Eliab was the right guy because he was tall in structure. He was a good-looking man. He said, that's got to truly be it. Well, God told him something else. He says, no, it's not. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man, for man looks at the outside appearance, but God looks at the heart. God is all about what's in here. God is all about what we have in our heart, how we use our heart. Does our heart run us or does our mind run us? The idea, whole, whole idea of living in this world, it all comes down to the fact that Satan wants to control our heart. That's his ultimate objective. His strategy is to take our mind to ultimately captivate our heart. But God says, my heart belongs to, you, to me. God desires to have our heart. Let's take a little closer look at Abel. 
We know from scriptures here that Cain and Abel knew all about how to worship God. You know, I'd like to think that in all those years that Cain and Abel walked on this earth and Adam and Eve were their parents, that their parents, Adam and Eve, desired to be good parents and teach their children and teach their sons here specifically truth. Teach them the story that they grew up with. I'm sure that Adam and Eve probably told them about the fact that God put us in the Garden of Eden. It was the most precious place in the world. We had everything. God told us that don't eat from this one particular tree. Well, your mother and I failed. We ate from that tree. So God expelled us from the garden. Before he expelled us, though, and that what he's doing right there, as you know, he's, he's showing Adam and Eve the whole idea that there's going to be a Savior coming. He told them, I'm going to bruise the head of the enemy. He's telling them that I'm going to take care of the enemy one day. I'm going to send a Savior. It's going to take care of him. Well, then also, Adam and Eve, because they're embarrassed by their sin, cover themselves with fig leaves. Well, God had something better. God went out and spilled the blood of an animal, killed an animal to give skins for their clothing. It was a picture of the substitutionary atonement. It was a picture of God realizing that sin needed to be covered up by someone. The innocent need to pay the price for the sinful. It was a picture for the Old Testament of sacrificing animals, but it was ultimately the picture of Jesus Christ coming. So God was preaching and proclaiming the gospel right here in the beginning part of Genesis, sharing the gospel. And i got to believe that Adam and Eve taught that to Cain and Abel. They knew it. We see specifically that there's evidence to this end. In Hebrews 11.4 it says this, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. He realized that because of my faith in God, my sins can be forgiven. Abel understood I'm a sinner just like my parents were. I've made mistakes just like my parents did. I've fallen short of God's glory here. So by faith, it says in Hebrews 4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. I love that thought. His faith was so powerful that he was justified by his faith. God says that Abel was righteous. What does that mean? Abel had right standing before God. God had given him that right standing. He justified him. He gave him right standing in front of himself. He realized that God is the creator of all things. God put me here. God has my hand in his life. God has my future in his life. So he realized I want to make sure that I have right standing before God. It says God testifying to his gifts. How's he doing that? We're reading about it this morning, uh, 4,000 years later. It says though he was dead... He still speaks to you and I about his faith. You know, think about that for just a second this morning. I want to have my faith outlive me. I want to have my faith live through the lives of my children and grandchildren and so on and so forth. I want to, I want to impact multiple generations because of my faith. I desire to do right by God. That's where Abel was at. Abel wanted to be counted righteous. He wanted to have that right standing with God. I want you to notice one other thing sometimes that we overlook here in this scripture. God was still speaking specifically to his people. I believe he was still speaking to Adam and Eve. We don't see it. But he was definitely speaking out loud to Cain and Abel. He was talking to them. You know, it's interesting here, just finishing up on Abel. What do we know about Abel? Abel was born. We know that. Abel gave an offering that was right. It was a righteous offering. And faith was accredited to him because of his offerings and because of his obedience. And he died. Not a whole lot to know about Abel. But think about this. 
He's written down here in God's Word. We see God here in His Holy... And we see Abel here in God's Holy Word. Abel had a heart for God. How do we know that? It was manifested by his obedience. Abel had a right relationship with God because he obeyed. I want you to hear this this morning. The greatest form of worship you and I will ever have, by far, the greatest form of worship you and I will have with God is to hear his holy word and obey. Walk in obedience. Think about what we want our children. We want them to walk in obedience. We want them to do all kinds of other things, but first and foremost, we want them to be obedient people. Abel had a surrendered heart. You know, this morning might be a good time as we're talking about Cain and Abel to kind of look at our own heart. Think about that. What am I holding on to with my life that's keeping me from the fullness of God's grace in my heart? What is it, what is it in my life that might be hardening my heart a little bit? That, that's, a, that's a problem with Cain we're going to look at here in a minute. He had a hardened heart. I want you to listen to this too. And this is profound. We're talking about Genesis here, but God's given us right here in Genesis 4 two paths to walk. We get a choice of two paths. We can either walk like Abel or we can walk like Cain. But every person in this world, their life reflects either one of these two. I'm either going to walk like Abel or I'm going to walk like Cain. Abel gave God his best. He gave him his whole heart. Cain, we're going to see here in just a moment, only offered a token. He was just going through the motions of being a Christian, of being a follower of God. His heart was not fully devoted to God. He had that hardened heart. I can tell you very simply what causes a hardened heart. We get too focused this way and not focused enough this way. We're not setting our affections on God. We're not parking our mind and our heart with God. We're allowing the world down here to impact us and influence us. A lot of times it's subtle. A lot of times it's direct. But I want you to hear this this morning. We become what we allow to come into our life. We become what we're exposed to. We become those things that surround us here that are not godly. Or we become like God because we're spending time with him. I like to think that we walk in such a way with God. We study his word. We pray. We encourage other people. We're obedient in his word. That we're so filled up with God that there's no room in our life for the enemy. Look at verse 6 for just a second. If you still have your Bibles open there, chapter 4. It says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? It's easy to see here that Cain had a major anger problem. Have you ever seen somebody, or maybe you've had that experience yourself, uh, seen somebody that has a disproportionate anger? Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I mean the person gets mad, but you realize, man, there's got to be more to the story because he's just getting mad about french fries or something. Really? You're that mad about this situation? I've had that happen in the restaurant business a number of times. Somebody just goes absolutely, phenomenally, brutally hostile in their anger. I mean, they want to throw stuff against the wall. All kinds of things. And I go up there and try to fix it and hey, out, sort of, I'll fix this, I'll get you a different dinner, or I'll fix it, or I'll get you more french fries, whatever it might be. And the whole time I'm thinking, buddy, we're just talking here about french fries. What is the problem here? disproportionate anger. You know, a lot of times we allow the anger to build up or we're walking and our heart's not in the right place and all of a sudden something just kind of spurs us to kind of boil over. And unfortunately sometimes our loved ones are in the way of that boiling over. Sometimes it's somebody else. But I want you to understand that anger is a secondary emotion. It's not a primary emotion. Anger just doesn't happen. Anger comes when there's a primary emotion out there bothering you. 
What could that be? Well, pain, fatigue, frustration. These other things lead to anger. So anytime we get anger, we need to realize, first of all, what's causing this? Why am I getting angry at my spouse? Or why am I getting angry at my child? Or why am I getting angry here at this coworker? What is it? What, what, what is it inside me? There's something wrong with my heart. And I can tell you, when we get angry, there's exactly one thing that's wrong with our heart. It's Cain's problem here. But you and I, when we get mad today, you know what we do? We take Jesus Christ and kick him off the throne of our life and put ourselves there. I deserve to be mad today because this happened and this happened and I'm frustrated and I'm tired and I'm in pain, whatever it might be. God desires to sit on the throne of our life. God wants Jesus Christ to be there. He wants the Holy Spirit to control who we are. You've heard the illustration before, but you know what, what's interesting? When we got Jesus Christ inside of us, when we really have Jesus Christ living inside us by the power of the Holy Spirit, when something bad happens, you know what comes out? Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ is not sitting on the throne of our life, you know what comes out? Us. It's like a grape. You squeeze that grape on the floor, what comes out? What's inside? And there may be some people here today, some, some of you friends today that still struggle with anger. How do I get over it? Well, get more of Jesus Christ inside of us. Spend more time with God. Ask God to help. Ask the Holy Spirit to control my mouth. I've said for years in some of the men's Bible studies, one of the greatest things that men can do in this world to look godly is just keep our mouth closed. Think about how many times we've gotten in trouble because we've allowed the anger to come out of our mouth. If you're dealing with it inside, that's fine. Just hold it there and give it to God. Cain had an anger problem. The New Testament elaborates on Cain's heart problem. It says this in John, 1 John 3. It says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. John, the Apostle John, is trying to encourage people. He says that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Very clearly here, God's given us more explanation to what we read in Genesis. But in Genesis, we see the path that we have. Either the path of Abel or the path of Cain. Jude 11 says this. And Jude is uh, speaking specifically about the ungodly apostates. About those people that are out there preaching and teaching false prophecy, false doctrine, false teachers. He says this about them. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. God is letting you and I know that that's not the right way to go. That Cain had a serious problem. Cain had major heart problems. The minor ones we probably see there is resentment, bitterness, jealousy, hostility. We just see cruelty there on his behalf. I don't know where this came from. I'm not sure what went wrong in Cain's life. Chase this little rabbit trail for just a second, but I don't know if you realize this, but at this time in the Bible in Genesis 4... God did not allow mankind to eat meat. He didn't let him. Man was not allowed to eat meat until after the flood. We read about it in Genesis chapter 9. It says this in verse 3. It says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. That's God talking to Noah. I have given you all these things even as I gave you the green herbs to eat. You know, Abel was the keeper of the flocks. It says it right there. That was his occupation. Well, if they're not... Keep, they're not eating sheep, why would he have to keep the flocks? I think the only explanation here is possibly that he could have sheep for the offerings, for the sacrifices. Cain was a farmer. He grew things out of the ground. Any time that Cain wanted to give a sacrifice to God, 
He's 100 years old. I don't know if he'd done it before, but he definitely failed this time. He'd have to go see Cain. He'd have to go see Abel and get one of those sheep, trade him or buy him. I don't know if that caused jealousy or bitterness, whatever it is, but Cain had a major heart problem, and that could have been one of the things. He was jealous. He was angry that he had to keep going back to his younger brother. You know, in the midst of the midst of Cain being angry, isn't this just like God, grace and mercy? God says this, if you do will, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In verse 7. And if you do not do well, he's, he's given uh, Cain an incredible warning here, sin lies at the door and it is it, its desires for you that you should rule over it. Cain had a major decision to make here. Cain could either repent, turn his ways, turn his mode of operation, turn his whole strategy about life, turn his heart around, change the direction of his life. You know, Cain needed to understand and realize he was going the wrong direction. Is God really that important? I'm missing the mark. I'm not going in the wrong direction. There's things in my life right now that are wrong according to God's plan. I need to change these things in my life. He needed to repent. Or he could continue down the road he's walking on. Keep rebelling against God. Keep going the wrong way. The scripture says there in verse 7, he said, Sin lies at the door. Just like what we read about in Peter. The devil is like a roaring lion walking, roaring lion walking around to see who he can devour. God's telling Cain right here, Son, you got a problem. I know you have a problem. I see the problem. This problem is going to cause your destruction. This problem is going to cause you problems. God's saying right here, hey, do something about it. You have a problem. Wake up. Pay attention to what's going on here. Understand who I am and who you are. But he's also saying that with a very loving tone. He's saying, hey, I love you so much, I want you to change. He could have just said, Cain, be away with you. I don't really care how you feel. You're not that important to me. But God right here to Cain in this verse, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He's saying, Cain, I love you. He's saying, Beaver Dam Baptist Church, I love you. I want the best for you. Turn. He realized that Cain was heading in the wrong direction. Well, Cain chose in the wrong direction with tragic results. Look with me, if you will, if you have your Bible so open, let's look at the scripture for a second. Genesis 4, verse 8. This is tragic. Verse 8 says, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. He killed. He committed murder. Then verse 9 said, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, second of all, he not only killed, but then he also lied. Verse 10, he said, What have you done? The voice of my brother's blood cries out for me to, the, for, to, for, to me from the ground. Now verse 11, he said, So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. I want, you to, point out, I want to point out something here. This is the first time that God cursed a man. He cursed Cain here. God cursed Satan, chapter 3. But he just disciplined Adam and Eve. But right here, it's serious. He's cursing Cain because he gave him every opportunity to change the direction of his life. Every opportunity to turn around. And he said, you're not going in the right direction. Verse 12. God issues the punishment. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. He's saying you're going to be futile as a farmer. 
a fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Cain is begging for mercy. He's not confessing. He's not asking for forgiveness. He's just saying, God, I can't take that. I can't take that. Well, guess what? God still gave him mercy, still gave him grace. It says, verse 14, Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen. Anyone who finds me will kill him. And here's the grace. God says to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, and lest anyone find him, should kill him. God's saying, even though you've done this, even though you failed to confess, even though you failed to ask for forgiveness, you have no desire to repent, I'm going to give you grace. Why? Because God is love. A lot of times we feel like, you know, there's no getting over where I'm at. There's no way I can recover from what I've done here. God says, yes, there is. I love you. God is love. Why don't you see something interesting here in verse 16? It said, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. There's something interesting in the Bible about the word east. Think about this. Cain went out, went east to the land of Nod. Adam and Eve went out of the garden even Eden to the east. How do we know that? Because God set a cherubim and fiery torches at the gate on the eastern side of the Garden of Eden. Remember old Lot? Lot went east when he separated from Abraham. Israel and Judah, both those nations went east when they were captured and carried off into captivity. Jonah went east. Remember when Jonah was called by God to go north to Nineveh? He went down to Joppa, got on a boat, and was heading 2,000 miles east in the wrong direction. In the Holy Scriptures here, a lot of times east is often symbolic of going away from God. Just a little footnote there for you. But let me tell you the great news. We talked about it last week, the week before as well. When Jesus Christ came in in that triumphant entry, where did he come from? He came from the east, but he was going west. He came down the Mount of Olives through the valley, the Kendrick Valley, and then up the, up the wall there through the eastern gate into Jerusalem. He came from the west. He came from the east. Going, he's going west. When Jesus Christ comes back again, he's coming to the west again into the city of Jerusalem. I ask you this morning what God means to you. I ask you this morning if you're worshiping God with a whole heart. Do we understand what worship is? It's showing up desiring to give God the glory. We had that experience in a wonderful way last week when we saw those cardboard testimonies and realized that God had done a miracle in these lives. I need a miracle in my life. Well, I've seen a miracle too. I could be a cardboard testimony. I want to conclude with this story. About eight years ago, I got a call on a Monday or Tuesday night, I can't remember which night it was, from a member of our church. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And they were very sad on the phone. They said, my brother's in the hospital at UVA Hospital, medical hospital. And he's dying. And he does not know Jesus Christ. And no, he doesn't. Would you go see him, Pastor? I said, I will. I said, I'll drive over there tonight. He said, oh, you don't have to go tonight. Go over tomorrow morning, be fine. So I had a very busy day. I had all kinds of appointments in the morning and meetings. So I got up very early. Got over to that hospital about 6 o'clock. 
that morning. Went up to the room, and his wife and his grown child were in the room with him. And so I introduced myself and told him who had asked me to come, his sister. And so I said, I want him by the bedside there, and he was still coherent. And I explained Jesus Christ to him. I told him that there can be life after death. Had he ever pondered the thought about life after death? Does he know what's going to happen if and when he should die? He didn't really have answers. He said, well, I think I'm going to heaven. Didn't know why. And so I shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. I told him that Jesus Christ came to this earth some 2,000 years ago. He lived for some 30-odd years. He died upon a cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. But on that third day, he rose victorious over the grave. I told him these things, and I shared it with his family as well, his wife and his daughter there. In the midst of that quietness of that room, that man and his wife and his daughter, all three prayed to receive Christ that morning in that room. I had a worship service in the car coming back home here, thanking God for getting me up early that day and realizing I had a busy day, but man, I was just filled with God. God, how could you use somebody like me to share the gospel with somebody? Thank you, God, for being there, for the Holy Spirit and its power showing that man the truth and him receiving Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, what a privilege to be a witness to that. I got back to my office here, and uh, we got a phone call here about 15 minutes after I got back. That man had passed away. But it was his wife on the phone. And said, is the pastor of the area by chance? And the secretary said, yes, he is. Gave me the phone, and she was just rejoicing, thanking God that they'd had that experience and how thankful that she was that he came to know Jesus Christ before he went on. I don't understand all the parameters of what God's plan was, if he held that man alive till that moment or whatever happened. But that lady was worshiping God just like I was coming back from that hospital, realizing that we got a great God in heaven. Thank you, God, for all you do in our lives. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving you. Today is the day of salvation. That man barely missed it. But by God's divine providence, by God's heart, that that man would come to know Jesus Christ, he got saved before he went to heaven. I believe he's in heaven today. I believe we'll see him again someday. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I want you to realize that you're not here by accident. That God has brought you here intentionally today. That you're here for a very specific reason to hear his word and walk in obedience, to realize that I want this God. I've tried running my life for a lot of years, but I want to see what God might do if I give my life to him, if I surrender these things. A lot of times we don't realize how lost we are. A lot of times that's the reason that we hesitate when an invitation is given. We hesitate and don't want to come to know Jesus Christ because, you know, I don't really think I'm that lost. I'm better than Joe over here or Sam over here. The standard is Jesus Christ. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. The wages of that sin is death, the Bible tells us. But the gift of God is Jesus Christ and eternal life. God has a heart for you and I. Even in our worst state, God still loved us. God sent his son to die for our sins. 